Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back to the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Allison, and today I have an episode that, I'm going to be honest, surprised me a little bit. So I'm excited to get into it, but obviously we have to do our segments first. So to get started, let's do our In the News segment. Big news story of the past seven days. So Jack Schlossberg went on the Today Show to recently announce the recipients of the Profiles in Courage Award for 2022, and there are five of them. Ukrainian President Zelensky, Republican Representative Liz Cheney, Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, Arizona House Speaker Rusty Bowers, and Georgia Election Department worker Wandrea Shea Moss. They are going to be honored for their actions in the aftermath of the 2020 presidential election. Along with that, during his interview on the Today Show, Jack Schlossberg also shared a little more exciting news about the new addition to the Kennedy Schlossberg family. So I'm going to play a clip of him talking about that here. Well, we got to catch up on some family business. First of all, congratulations. You just graduated from Harvard, a JD MBA. You're a lawyer. You've got your master's in business. That's right. And you've moved back home. I have. Exactly. (laughs) I'm living in my childhood bedroom. It's all going according to plan. Well, everybody wants to know what your plans are. Do you know what your plans are? I don't know my plans. I have no plans. But I have a new nephew. Um, Wait a minute. I, that was my next question, but you already broke a piece of news because your sister Tatiana yes. had a little baby. We yeah. didn't know if it was a boy or girl. It's a boy. It's a boy. And can you tell us the name? His name is Edwin, but I like to call him Jack. Oh. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> but his name is Edwin. His name is Edwin. After Eddie. after, after your my father. Dad, yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah. Oh, that's so cute. And yeah. have you been over there? Yeah, all the time. I, I can't get away from him. I love him. He's, a, well, the, he's like the first first grandchild yeah. for your mom. Yeah. Is she into it? So into it. I handed in my last paper on the day that he was born, so no one even noticed. <laughs> yeah, they're like, I finished school. you've been overtaken. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. It's all about Edwin slash Jack now. Exactly. Uh, well, you know, one of these times you came here where you were with your mom, and I think it might have been the first time you were on with us, and I asked you, like everyone does, whether you have a future in politics, and you said... That I have no plans. No, you said stay tuned, Savannah. I said stay tuned, Savannah? I'm still tuned. That's very bold of me to it say. It was quite yeah. bold and remarkable. Do you have any, any news about no that? I have no plans, no updates to share. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, congratulations Thank on you. everything. Thank you for introducing us, introducing us to the Profiles and Courage Award Thank recipients. You. Thank you so much. And the little nephew. Next time, bring pictures. I will. Okay, congratulations to Tatiana and her husband. Also for In the News, the Met Gala was last night from when I'm recording this, and I was shocked by the amount of Kennedy-inspired looks and and gowns framed around American architecture and stuff. And so I was going to dissect all of these and talk about them, and then I thought, this has to be an episode because... Obviously, there was Kim Kardashian wearing the Marilyn Monroe dress from Happy Birthday, Mr. President. There were looks that channeled Jackie and, I don't know, so much good stuff. So, I've called on my old pal Noah Birch, and he will be coming back to the podcast next week. And we are going to break down all of these looks that are Kennedy-inspired. And we're also going to talk more about how designers are taking Kennedy fashion and influence and 
spinning them into modern day collections and how this amazing sense of style is continuing to transcend time. So I'm stoked to have him on here and it'll be so much fun. Make sure that you are subscribed so you don't miss next week's episode. Okay, it's time for our inspiring clip of the week. One of the inspiring notes. So I know I just did Maria Shriver recently, but I had to do this clip from a commencement address that she recently did at the University of Michigan that was just incredible. And it's a long clip of what I shared. I would have shared the whole thing if it just wouldn't have been insane. So uh, it's going to be a a lengthy clip, but worth the listen. Here she is. Well, then I realized something as I was sitting one night watching Ukrainian President Zelensky on the news. He stood there with shelling all around him and said, I am not hiding, and I am not afraid of anyone or anything. I took a beat. Yeah. As I watched him and took a beat, I said to myself, wow, Maria, you are hiding. You are scared to walk into the big house. What is up with you, girl? Come on. I mean, you've interviewed presidents, criminals, dictators. You were married to the Terminator, for God's sake. (laughs) You have covered riots, conventions, inaugurations, and given countless speeches before. What are you afraid of? Not being good enough? Embarrassing your son? Are you worried you'll just be compared to your uncle, President John F. Kennedy, who first announced the idea for the Peace Corps in his speech at Michigan? Uh, yeah. (laughs) Are you afraid you won't have anything valuable or memorable to say to this extraordinary class of young individuals? All of it. All of it. I was terrified. So once I got real, I called President Coleman and said, I'm in. You see, I am a big believer in facing your fears head on. It's how I have found my own courage. It's how I have found my own bravery. It's how I have discovered my truth, and most importantly, it's how I've discovered who I really am. For example, I was terrified to enter into the news business, even though I knew I wanted to be a journalist. In fact, the first time I anchored a live television show, I threw up in the bathroom before, and I threw up when I was done. So I was so convinced I had done a terrible job and that I would never be invited back. I was also afraid to write every book I've ever written, terrified that no one would buy one, and even worse, I was concerned that I'd be humiliated in the public square. I was afraid to become the first lady of California and be a Democrat and serve in a Republican administration. I was sure I would be ruining everything that my family had fought for and stood for. I was afraid to have children Sure, I would mess them up. So far, knock on wood, I haven't. I was afraid to get married and even more afraid to leave my marriage and carve out a path for myself at midlife. And for sure, I was be... Thank you. (laughs) That's a whole other speech for another time. (laughs) But it's a good one. And I was certainly afraid to become an entrepreneur in my 60s. But if there's one thing I have learned since I was your age, it's that fear can show up at every stage of your life, no matter what you have accomplished. And not pushing through your fear, 
not pushing through that which scares you will leave you feeling like you're not brave. It will leave you with an unrealized, unfulfilled version of yourself. And believe me, graduates, that is something to fear. Because to truly know who you are, you cannot hide who you are, not from yourself or from others. And the truth is, most people hide. So that's why I showed up today. I showed up because I didn't want to hide behind my fear. I showed up because it didn't matter whether you knew me or not, or whether I was first, second, or your last choice. That will always happen in life. What matters is that I didn't let the self-doubt keep me from being here. I didn't let imposter syndrome keep me from accepting this honorary degree from the greatest institution in our country, which my And on the plane here, my son reminded me that I was worthy of receiving it when I told him, uh-oh, I don't think I'm worthy. He said, Mommy, they wouldn't give it to you if you weren't worthy. What matters is that when I asked myself if I had something valuable to say to you, something that I wish I'd known at your age, the answer turned out to be yes. And what I want you to know today is this. Fear and certainty, they're an illusion. So is the belief that you are small or that someone else is bigger, better, or braver than you, or that someone else knows what's best for you. They don't. Your life, graduates, is best chartered by you, by your heart and your mind. You know what else is an illusion? That success is the brass ring my generation told you it was, or that you should wait to pursue that which lights you up. Do not ever wait to pursue to that what makes you feel alive. And the good news is, you don't have to because your generation has been given the gift of a shredded rule book, a wide open field. So much of what used to be called normal is out the window, and that is actually your gift. In fact, this uncertain moment that you and our world are facing, it's an incredible opportunity for you. And those fears you may be feeling, they're actually a window into your own bravery. And this moment that we are all in, this is a moment for the brave. And finally, for my recommendations. Of course, then we would recommend it. Since today we will be speaking about Evelyn Lincoln, who is President Kennedy's personal secretary, I am going to recommend the two books that she wrote. One, My 12 Years with John F. Kennedy, and the second, Kennedy and Johnson. And you can find the direct links to purchase those in the description of this episode. Speaking of Evelyn Lincoln, let's get to the episode. I'm going to be honest with you guys. There is probably so much more out there about her than I was even able to conjure up in the amount of time I had to research because every single time I went to click on another article or another, there was some deep secret or some new thing to find out about her. So as I've said before, this is a podcast where I am learning alongside you guys please feel free and please do research this topic on your own. After the fact, send me any new articles or information you find I would love to know because I thought this was going to be a really cut and dry, super easy episode and I was in for it because I found that Evelyn Lincoln had a lot more layers to her than I previously thought. 
With that being said, my sources today are the New York Times, Washington Post, Spartacus Educational, Independent, and the National Archives. I'm kind of all over the place with these sources today because there were so many different just angles. Honestly, when I first looked her up, I was like, oh no, there's not enough content here. There was just very vague like descriptions of her life and whatnot and her loyalty to President Kennedy. But then I kind of dug a little deeper and there's some stuff there. To get started, I'm just going to give you a little bit of backstory about her, uh, who she is, where she's from, all that kind of thing. Evelyn Lincoln was born Evelyn Maureen Norton on a farm in Polk County, Nebraska on June 25th of 1909. And she grew up in politics because her father, John Norton, was actually a member of the United States House of Representatives. Then, in 1930, she married a federal worker named Harold W. Lincoln, and she met him when she was a law student at George Washington University. So being that she was around politics, she really wanted to aim for working in politics in some capacity. And she was able to achieve that because in 1953, she became the personal secretary to then-Senator of Massachusetts, John F. Kennedy. She was excited to work for President Kennedy and the person that she could see that he was. I'm Evelyn Lincoln. I was the uh, personal secretary to the president from... January 3rd, 1953, until November 22nd, 1963. Ten years. Mm-hmm. Almost 11. Would have been 11, 3rd of January. Could you tell us about your first, the first time you met him or the first time you heard about him? Well, I was working for a southern congressman in the House, and... Um, I looked around and I thought I would like to go with someone uh, that was more active. And so uh, I noticed uh, Congressman Kennedy and I liked his ideas and what he was trying to do. In fact, I was so impressed with the idea that he was going to run against Henry Cabot Lodge that I thought it would be nice if I could work for him if he did win out. And so I volunteered my services at night and uh, helped in his campaign in 52. And then when he was elected in 53, he asked me to go along. And I was his secretary during the whole time from then on. She instantly made herself necessary to him. She was an incredible secretary, always there, really took her job very seriously. And one of the most notable things that people said about her was that she collected every single scrap of paper ever. She did not get rid of anything. She was meticulous about preserving, almost hoarding everything ever. Another thing that I thought was kind of interesting that I found when reading about her is that she kept this persona of exactly what she looked like in the 60s for the rest of her life. So after the assassination, which I'll get to the backstory of, you know, her being there and things like that, but I just wanted to note that after the assassination, she kept her look pretty much the exact same because she was kind of quoted saying that it was identifiable and that's just who she was and she was good with that. In one of the articles that I read, they also noted that she loved the spotlight as far as 
keeping the Kennedy memory alive in the way that she could. She would always grant interviews. She corresponded back and forth with people curious about Kennedy history and sent notes and cards and things like that. She would even send her own headshot to every letter that she would respond to. She just was very, very, very passionate about talking about her time with the Kennedys. And to me, it seemed like it was a bit of an obsession for her for her entire life. Did, uh, was there any change in that? You became much busier, I imagine, when he became president. But was there any change in that? I, I thought he was humble when he was a senator, but he was much more humble as president. He was even more uh, trying to reach uh, the individual and see what he could do for them, always thinking about all of the people, the old people, the school children, and uh, just everyone. How did he, uh, you saw him with so many people, how did, by what means did he reach people? I'm, I'm asking a very vague question. Well, um, you felt just like he was uh, a member of your family when you met him. In, in fact, it was a little difficult to really realize that he was a president because he was so so down on the same level with you. I mean, you, you felt uh, a closeness to him. You, d you didn't feel awe-stricken, uh, but he just felt, you just felt like it was just some old friend that you were visiting with. It was a very strange thing, and I think everyone felt that way. You couldn't help but feel that way. So back to when she started working for him. She claimed herself that she was one of the first to know about Jackie. She was very close to him, obviously handled all of his day-to-day -day things, and learned a lot about him in the process. The New York Times says that Mr. Kennedy's election to the presidency elevated his personal secretary to a public figure. Her office next to the president's became a nerve center at the White House, partly because of the candy dish she kept there along with the humidor full of gift cigars, not up to presidential standards, and partly because of the West Wing's layout. Miss Lincoln had a direct view of the president in his office, and the president had to walk through her office to get to cabinet meetings. Her office also had a television set on, which the president and aides watched the nation's first manned spaceflight and other major events. What about his sense of humor? Oh, well, he always had that. Always. Uh, you could tell uh, by the trink, uh, kind of twinkle in his eye that uh, he was ribbing you or... <laughs> or giving you, I mean, going to say something real funny. and But uh, he always had a sense of humor. I mean, uh, things, even though uh, in the serious uh, part of, of things and negotiations and things like that, he always had a release uh, by maybe making some little remark which would uh, relieve the tension. People were all tensed up, but he could say some little thing, but relieve it. 
Now, I'm sure you're wondering, did Miss Lincoln know about all the extramarital affairs? And the answer is absolutely yes, because she was actually basically the person that handled coordinating everything from getting the women to the White House and back. The Independent quotes her as saying that half of her time was spent with women calling to find out about him. It says, Lincoln, whose own marriage appears to have been a model one, was expected to contact young women, socialite friends from New York, call girls, or government secretaries, and arrange for them to be picked up in one of the White House's black Mercury limousines and brought to the executive mansion where they would be escorted to the pool or private quarters by Kennedy's even more personal aide and principal procurer Dave Powers. She came out and said that she believed Jackie was having affairs too, which is not shocking if you've read a lot about the Kennedys. And Miss Lincoln said that she didn't think Jackie really liked her that much and was really upset when Jackie fired her. She said that Jackie told her, oh, Miss Lincoln, this shouldn't be so hard for you. You still have your husband. Now let's talk about the day of the assassination. She was in the motorcade the day of, and obviously, as it did everyone, the assassination impacted her very deeply. And she would, every single year, on November 22nd, visit Arlington Cemetery and lay three roses at the grave of President Kennedy. She had a controversial opinion on the conspiracy surrounding the assassination. On October 7, 1994, she wrote, For as the assassination is concerned, it is my belief that there was a conspiracy because there were those that disliked him and felt the only way to get rid of him was to assassinate him. These five conspirators, in my opinion, were Lyndon B. Johnson, J. Edgar Hoover, the Mafia, the CIA, and the Cubans in Florida. She wrote about in her book, Kennedy and Johnson, which released in 1968, a conversation that she had with President Kennedy on November 19th of 1963. And this is what that said. As Mr. Kennedy sat in the rocker in my office, his head resting on its back, he placed his left leg across his right knee. He rocked slightly as he talked. In a slow, pensive voice, he said to me, you know if I'm reelected in 64, I'm going to spend more and more time toward making government service an honorable career. I would like to tailor the executive and legislative branches of government so that they can keep up with the tremendous strides and progress being made in other fields. I'm going to advocate changing some of the outmoded rules and regulations in Congress, such as the seniority rule. To do this, I will need, as a running mate in 64, a man who believes as I do. She was fascinated by this conversation and wrote it down verbatim in her diary. Then she asked him, who is your choice as a running mate? And he looked straight ahead and without hesitation replied, at this time I'm thinking about Governor Terry Sanford of North Carolina, but it will not be Lyndon. But then when this whole thing about dumping Lyndon on the ballot came out, it got a little controversial and a gossip columnist reported unnamed Kennedy sources saying that it was actually Evelyn Lincoln that President Kennedy wanted to get rid of. And according to the Washington Post, that hurt her deeply. And she said the information about Johnson was true, but that Robert Kennedy was running for president at the time and did not want to anger Johnson. She said, I assumed he knew just like I knew. People at the time apparently accused her of disloyalty, saying they wouldn't hire her as a secretary or anything like that. And she said that she felt at that point that people in the White House were jealous of her because of Kennedy relying on her as much as he did. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Evelyn Lincoln kept a diary that apparently had some dishy things in it. I couldn't find the diary published because she said she would release it only after her death, but I couldn't really find it. It looked like the JFK Library had pages, but they weren't viewable to me. At least most of them weren't, so I didn't really get to dive deep there. If you find anything on that, though, send it to me because I'm curious. There are a bunch of little stories and stuff about her knowing about the secret tapes, which that was kind of controversial when that came out, and she totally defended Kennedy and said that wasn't malicious, it's just for records, and, you know, a bunch of little things like that that she always stood up for him with, without a doubt, just was incredibly loyal. One other question. You spent so much time with him. This is a hard question, but what did he give to you personally and as a human being? Well, I I was... uh, um... I also felt like I should do everything I could to uh, to, to help him in, in what he wanted to do. Uh, long hours didn't mean anything to me, and uh, I also wanted to see that that uh, his personal needs or anything that he would that would make his life a little easier it was a pleasure for me to do it. And since he's gone, it seems like the bottom's dropped out. Yeah, what? It does. It does. Yeah, completely. Where do we go from here? Yeah, well, I'm sure. I'm sure that when we pick up the pieces, there'll be a purpose. Bill, can you think of any? It's just wonderful, really. He really inspired me. He really did. I think he inspired all of us very much. Yeah, Yeah, he was a wonderful man. Now I want to tell you where I was really surprised and dove down a hole that was pretty nuts. So when it came to my research with the National Archives, it seemed that Evelyn Lincoln was hiding a little secret. So you remember all those pieces of paper and all the things that I was telling you she collected and kept? Well, uh, they weren't really for great reason. Come to find out, after the assassination, she actually basically stole a bunch of stuff from the Oval Office or from President Kennedy's office. The papers that she had, all that kind of stuff, she took a bunch of it. And the way that they found out about this is when the Kennedy Library was trying to piece documents and stuff together... There was a ton of stuff missing, and everyone was like, who has this? Long story short, after an investigation, it was uncovered that Evelyn Lincoln had been giving a bunch of stuff to this guy named Robert White, who was in no way related to Theodore White, just to clear that up. But he was a huge collector of Kennedy memorabilia. And National Archives says that their relationship began when a then-teenaged White wrote to President Kennedy. And Lincoln responded to the boy's letter, and through their correspondence, they cultivated a friendship. As he grew older, White began buying materials from Lincoln, selling off some items to support purchasing other materials. He may have received other materials as gifts from her. Upon her death in 1994, Lincoln bequeathed a large number of items to White and a lesser amount to the Kennedy Library. So after that, basically a big old battle ensues where the Kennedy Library is trying to figure out what they can obtain. JFK Jr. and Caroline are figuring out what they can obtain. And it becomes this huge back and forth trying to get all the stuff that Evelyn Lincoln took from the White House that she wasn't supposed to and literally sold and or gave to somebody to 
sell <laughs> or keep or do whatever. It was wild. A lot of stuff was obtained back. I think White got to keep a bunch of stuff, but basically the majority of the stuff that happened within the White House years, they were able to get back. It's a long article. <laughs> Go check it out. It's literally on the National Archives website about all of this, and I thought it was freaking wild because, I mean, as loyal as Evelyn Lincoln was, and I think she was probably an excellent secretary, I just thought it was pretty crazy that she took so much stuff. So send me your opinions on this. Go read this article and send me what your thoughts are. I'm so curious and I want to have conversation about, like, how do we feel about Evelyn Lincoln? Anyway, that's my episode for you. Like I said, I just, it went a direction I did not expect, but I was kind of here for it and interested. So I hope you enjoyed it. We have a newsletter now, which is awesome. So go to Kennedy Dynasty Instagram at Kennedy Dynasty or click the direct link I'm going to put in the description of this episode to subscribe to our newsletter. You can keep up with blogs. You can keep up with what's going on on our socials, what interviews are coming up, all that kind of stuff there. And I really want you to subscribe because I just think it's really great. Make sure you rate the podcast five stars, write a positive written review if you enjoy it. You guys know how much that helps me out and I appreciate you more than you know. And I will talk to you guys next week. And vote for Kennedy, vote for Kennedy, to keep America strong. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greeny. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but, you know. We're talking uh, about sustainability, (laughs) maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the Guilty Greeny. There's your first challenge of the week. Avoid (laughs) elephants. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. That's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. You can find Guilty Greenie on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Until then, stay curiously green. Green.